0: Welcome to Pullin' Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas GCSA. Opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the people on the podcast and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association or any of its sponsors. Welcome in, everyone. Another fantastic episode of uh, Pullin' Weeds. Got a special guest with us today. Um kind of got a good story here i'm interested already in having this one shared so um adam russell say hello to everybody adam hey tim appreciate you having
1: us yes sir all right tell everybody who you're with so i am the vice president of mvp genetics mountain view performance genetics all right we're going to get
0: into the details on that here in a little bit because from what i understand that's formerly known as mountain view seeds
1: it is a division of Mountain View Seeds. Aha, a
0: division. See, Adam's already had me for 20 minutes learning my ignorance on all this, so bear with us. But um, all right, well, tell everybody where you grew up, man. Where are you from?
1: So I am from Washington, Georgia, Washington Wilkes, Georgia, which is a small town, uh, dairy cows, pine trees, and a bunch of old houses. And uh, down 78, Highway 78, coming out of Athens, in between Athens and Augusta. So I grew up there in a, in a small town. So, what was that town, like, what would it have been there for? <laughs> Agriculture? <laughs> yeah, very much so, yeah. Dairy cows, Holsteins. Um, you know, you had pine trees and pine plantations, uh, harvesting timber, and then a lot of tourism because we still have all our old antebellum houses. So, ah. Great place to grow up. My parents were school teachers, and so we moved in the community, and um, yeah, it was a great place to grow up. So, um, you said your folks were teachers? They were school teachers. Yeah, they, um, they met down at Georgia Southern. I was actually born in Statesboro, Georgia. Okay. Um, but my mother's a Clemson graduate. My dad is a Georgia Southern and a Georgia graduate. I myself am a Georgia graduate. Uh, so we didn't stray too far from home. But um, yeah, so they, they moved there and, and both got teaching jobs. And my mom in, in the local county, Wilkes County, and my dad next door in Lincoln County. So uh, they both uh, taught there and then retired, uh, both of them you ever have any interest in agriculture growing up? You know, kind of just because it was always around. Um, it wasn't as as maybe prevalent because my parents were school teachers, but we always had friends that were in it. And, and yeah, it, growing things and watching things grow always fascinated me, but just being back in the woods. I was also fortunate that, you know, right next door to where we grew up was a, a cool little nine-hole course. So I grew up right next to a golf course. And that, that I think, more than anything was probably the start of turf grass for me watching things on a on a cultivated level watching them at the golf course grow uh, that always fascinated me because right next door were my pine trees and my woods and um, and so I got to compare that and as a kid I was just I was fascinated by it And of course got to play golf and be on top of it and enjoy myself but in a little small town you know I, I felt like that was just cool and unique and I gravitated to it I guess over time. You grew up playing golf? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was right next door from age you – know, we moved in three, three years old. And so, yeah, I mean, started playing immediately and then uh, yeah, all the way through high school and still play to this day a lot. But, yeah, the, most summer days I was out there. Good enough to play at college? No, no. Good I was, enough to still play now? No, never. Um, I no, was, I mean, just for fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get worse and worse every year. The more I work, the worse do. we do. Um but, yeah, I was borderline high school golf team. Gotcha. And uh, was not good enough to play in college. Never really pursued it. I was better at – football was king in our town. So, football and baseball were my, my two. And then I'd, I'd run a little bit of track and play a little bit of golf. And you've got youngsters now, right? I do, yeah. I've got three. So, um, so I've got two girls and a boy. So, uh, golf shot. Yeah. Unless, unless, we, unless they play. My favorite is when you guys have an event or somebody invites me out and I get to – Hit and giggle and, you know, have a good time with people. That's, that's my golf these days. We don't, we don't belong to a club. We play at a bunch of different public courses around us. And as my son's shuttling between baseball and basketball and soccer and my girls are ice skating and competitive dance and flag football, um, yeah, we stay busy. All right, all right. We got, to stop.
0: We got to stop real quick. Now, you live um, just outside of Atlanta now, is that correct? Coming?
1: I, I do. Uh, Forsyth County, coming Georgia. Yep. Forsyth
0: um i've spent a little time there yeah um, i'm familiar with a couple of the local high schools there
1: as my son's been playing there lately
0: but okay dude it's a little warm for ice skating where do they ice skate
1: so there is a rink and and this surprised us when we moved there i, I guess somebody somewhere was interested in it or came down from the north but there is an ice skating rink and they have hi- hockey teams they have adult hockey teams they have uh, uh, more people than I ever expected on ice there. And so, so they're making money at the ring. They are printing money at that ring. Yep. And uh, and so another lost opportunity. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, of course, with the thrashers leaving and maybe coming back in, uh, you know, we've got a lot of interest. And so you see kids that, all they do is ice skate. All so you've got one hockey. like close
0: to you then? There's this yeah, thing like fifteen a d- minutes.
1: I mean, fifteen minutes south of the house, and you go—that's crazy. And it's not—it's not the only one. I mean, there's others. You know, down the road, thirty minutes, forty-five minutes. I mean, there's—it's something like five or six ice rinks in the Atlanta area, and there's leagues and there's uh, again adult leagues where you can just play hockey. And uh, blew my mind because we didn't have anything like that out where no. we didn't even have a soccer team out where we are. So I mean, even yeah. my kids playing soccer is like unusual to me it's a game I've had to learn and love but you know ice ice hockey is completely foreign you go do your thing yeah we
0: had lacrosse come up yeah you know a couple summers ago right and I guess there's a there's a huge league in Greenville apparently and I knew there was in Atlanta as well but then you say ice hockey I'm like okay it's
1: growing I mean you know kids are playing I mean it's um it's an alternative to football I mean we see football as as much as I hate it you know it's less and less every year so it's like what do you turn to? What's like football adjacent? And it's it's hockey, it's lacrosse, it's, you know, hitting somebody with a stick. I mean, it's football it's, adjacent. It's fun, you know. So um, I've enjoyed it, and, and the girls love it. My son likes to get out on it, and um, it's been cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I've never tried ice skating. No, I'm terrible. No,
0: I couldn't even roller skate that well.
1: Mm-mm. Hurts my ankles now. Can't do it.
0: Did you roller skate growing up? Did you guys uh, have a rink?
1: Birthday parties. Yeah. We'd go up to Athens. You know, somebody. Are had you a backward skater? Uh, pretty much. Yeah, I real big ankles. They don't roll well. Oh god, don't roll, roll well. No, that's great.
0: No. All right. Sorry, I got a little distracted here good. with the ice rink. All right, let's talk about your education real quick. You said you went to Georgia. Um, congratulations. You've had a good run in
1: football lately. Surprisingly good. Surprised all of us. Came out of nowhere.
0: Oh, man I think I think it's been overdue to be honest with you. you know, the SEC's a tough conference. We could get into an hour on that. Yep. but um, you know, we are here in what we consider to be God's country, close to Clemson. Um, so depending on you know, but you said Georgia, but then you got a parent from yep. Clemson, and they met at Georgia Southern. so uh-huh. teachers there's college multiple degrees multiple
1: They're, degrees in there. Is that what happened? They are. My mom is a TL Hannah High School graduate. Here in Anderson. Here in Anderson, from Anderson, um, and then went to Clemson. And so she says she's the second class of women uh, through Clemson. I've never never actually fact-checked that, but um, 71 or 72. Okay, we'll Um, go with it. Yeah, and then that was her bachelor's. And then wanting to be a teacher in in Georgia. Georgia Southern has historically been the teacher's college down in Statesboro. And so she went there, and that's where she met my dad, who was coming there to teach, and his bachelor's. And after his bachelor's um, and mom's master's, uh, dad goes up to Georgia and gets multiple degrees from Georgia. So he is what they call a double dog. Um, but also we had a little bit that was still in Statesboro with Georgia Southern and a little bit of Clemson. And then even still on one side of the family, we have a lot of Georgia tech. So when I was coming out of high school man, it was like a bidding war, yeah, options. We, we have a small lake house, a little fishing shack, um, on, on the South Carolina side, so um, right off 187 and Dobbins Bridge Road, and so what they call West Anderson now, which surprises us still to this day. But um, yes, in, I live in East Anderson, by oh, the yes, way. That's yeah, it, yeah. You're so, welcome. We
0: pay a ton of taxes to y'all. We're, you get we're the appreciative,
1: <laughs> very appreciative. We finally got a, a place to eat now outside of the barbecue place, so nice, we finally nice. got a cafe, but we've been there since 1982, and, um, and so it's just been a little place to get away. Are um, y'all on Hartwell? We are so yeah yep. nice just uh just up from this uh well we call the marina uh, yeah put the new big marina and uh, of course a new put in over there but we've been there for a long time so Seneca Marina you talking uh, about it would be what's the new one over there across from the marina, east of the east of the marina what do they call it the new big giant one that they built um, oh gosh I wouldn't even know either way By the football stadium Uh no further down so, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 further on the center of the lake uh, gotcha. where the Hartwell bridges are and. Uh, close to the dam. We're probably twenty minute boat ride to the dam. Okay. So we've always had this and and have always um have always had a Clemson side. My my grandfather was, became a diehard Clemson fan. And so he worked uh first at True Temper and then a Coca-Cola bottling plant. And so he wore a Clemson belt every day of his life with a suit and a fedora and he loved the Clemson Tigers. So we would always get tickets to Death Valley and I spent spent as much time in Death Valley as I did in Athens, Georgia. And so it was a big deal coming out. I mean, I had in-state tuition if I wanted it in South Carolina, could have claimed residency with the lake house. And so I didn't know where I wanted to go. And coming from a small school, uh, I'd be honest, I just punted because I didn't know if I could handle a big school like that. And so I went to Georgia Southern. And so I started at Southern and, and treated it not like a junior college, but just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was outside again and just around places, and I, I got lucky and worked in sports turf for a little bit at a local complex and really grew to love the outside and w- wanted to see how systems worked outside. And Just, again, things growing has always fascinated me, um, agriculture and non-agriculture. And so I started looking, and it was between uh, traditional architecture, so Georgia Tech, and landscape architecture, which was Clemson and Georgia. And Georgia happened to hit number one, and it was close to home, and I went to Georgia. And so um, I've never regretted it, uh, but I met my wife down in, in Statesboro. And so co-ed dorms for the win down at Georgia Southern. But <laughs> transferred up, got the degree, so I'm a landscape architect from the University of Georgia. Nice. When did you get done there? So uh, I graduated in 09 and so right about the recession coming in, and so there was a lot of moving parts where – when I went to to Georgia, it was landscape architecture, uh, but I had a, a professor that was a golf course shaper, and so he worked for Tom Doak and and now runs National Golf Links, or na- the National Golf Trust Trust up in Washington, D.C., so Mike, nice. M- Mike McCartan. And so he pulled me aside, and he said, man, you're kind of different from everybody else here. You know, most people just want to draw pretty trees, and there's nothing wrong with that, but – we had a group of us that were more construction based and we just like building things and growing things. So he said, you know, you ought to think about this internship with Renaissance golf design. And I was like, yeah. Okay. And so then the more I started thinking about it, the more I like golf. And so I applied for it and went up to Traverse city, Michigan, and they hired me. And so did my internship at common ground golf course in Denver, Colorado. So we went there and, um, and had a blast, learned as much as we could shaping-wise, and then everything hits. So you graduate, you know, my professors are on the bread line with us. (laughs) I mean, it's like, you know, here's your degree, you know, good luck out there. It's rough. So um, I struggled for a good bit trying to find work, and, and, um, you know, golf course shaping was out of the question. So as much as I hated to put it down – it just wasn't anywhere to go. There it wasn't was any work then. China or Nicaragua and my wife was not going to either and probably yeah. neither was I. So Correct. so um put that down and got lucky, really lucky. We had some family friends and we had some connections with Pennington, which was right next door the county, Morgan County, Madison, George was right next to where I grew up. And so got lucky and had an opportunity that popped up and a friend of mine from school from landscape architecture school said, man, I just, I just signed on as a territory sales manager. And I said, what the hell is that? (laughs) No sales background, no nothing, no experience, no anything. And I said, well, you know, worth a shot. I just got turned down at a tree farm in Watkinsville, Georgia, with my shiny new degree. Yeah. Let's do this. And I, you know, somehow got through the interview and they sent me down to Florida. So I started with Pennington for a year and, um, and then they said, well, why don't you come back up to Atlanta? Which made my wife really happy. And, and so, um, hold on, Hold on.
0: What kind of grass seed are you selling in Florida?
1: Yeah. Um, at the time. The, just rye for overseed? It was a lot of erosion control reclamation oh, okay, type stuff. Okay. okay. Um, so, it wasn't all golf necessarily. No, it was very little golf. Oh, uh, and that was a surprising thing. The Pennington, what they called at the time the professional division, it just came up from – the housing boom in Atlanta and just people wanting bahia grass or just common Bermuda grass seed for erosion control, and so I'd say probably sixty seventy percent of what we did was erosion control. And there would be overseeded ryegrass, and there would be a very very small amount of some bent grass at the time, but but not much. It was mostly erosion control. So yeah. I was on transmission line projects and yeah. substations, and it, it was non golf, but. It was growing something and it was hydro seeding and, and you were around it enough that I could continue to learn. And they send you to a place like Florida where you know every anything goes. I saw more things down there that I still have not seen to this day. Bugs and diseases and rain and <laughs> uh, you know, so after a year of of getting baptized into that, uh, they said, why don't you come back home, you know, in, in a little place that's a little bit more familiar. And so I did. Uh, and and we haven't regretted it I worked for Pennington for seven and a half years okay so I did um, you know metro Atlanta east Tennessee a little bit of Alabama towards the end and then even switched over to distribution fertilizer so I wanted to just keep learning and I, I guess maybe every three or five years I get a itch where I need to learn something else and so I just kept trying to add to you know my talents or skills or whatever you want to call it and And so I started learning fertilizer and then about that time started seeing some changes in Pennington and maybe a little bit less investment from the professional side. Pennington's always been a great retail company, lawn and garden, independent, you know, home garden stores. And you started to see more of a transition back to that. And so, you know, felt like at the time, might be good to keep moving on and started looking and just got very lucky and met my boss now, Aaron Kinsey, who lives out in Salem, Oregon with Mountain View Seeds. Didn't know Mountain View very well and kind of heard of them, thought they were a little small seed company. And he invited me out to Oregon and I learned. Um, So once I saw what turned out to be an agricultural co-op, everything sort of changed. And once I started looking, it was like, oh, these are the guys that are producing the turf grass seed that always shows up at the top of the charts. You know, it was it was at the time a smaller company, but they were growing, and it was like, okay, you know, there's opportunity. And once I saw the people and once I got out there to experience it, I had done a little bit of that with Pennington, but not to that degree. Okay. And so once I got out there to see it um, and they offered me the job, it was, it was a no-brainer. Um, so I became, instead of a territory sales manager, regional sales manager, uh, I became the director of product development for Mountain View Seats. So oh wow, that was big switch. Yeah, very. Um, it was it was increasing title responsibility, but also a little bit of pay too. So that helped. I got to stay right where I was, and uh, we were in Canton at the time, but moved to Cumming shortly thereafter for my wife's job. Um, as so a your boss teaching. is
0: approximately 1900 miles away.
1: It is, it is. And, and he has the security and, um, maybe the belief, blind <laughs> belief in me. <laughs> That's that, awesome. Um, Can't beat that. He does not need to check up on me. Uh, and he has been the best boss I've had today. That's awesome. He truly has been. Uh, he's taught me a lot. He lets me fend for myself, gives me just enough rope to hang myself with and helps me clean up the mess when we make them. But it, it's been, it's been wonderful working with Aaron, um, just with how much he's mentored me and, and how much of a good example he's set as a leader. I've, I've learned a ton now that I lead a division of this company. I, I just pattern a lot of what I've learned out of him. Um, and so it's, it's nice to be able to have that confidence, like you said, from across the country. You're on an island, so sometimes communication is tough, you know, when you're three hours behind and you need to get something done first part of the day or end part of the day. But for me, it was continuing to dive into research and development of turf grass and how do we get from – this grass that we saw on this golf course and then we take it out to this wild place in Oregon and we grow it and we try to kill it and then we take it to a bunch of other different places and then people tell you it works and then then we release to market some grass seed or some turf grass. It's a wild process that people don't see a lot and so I just was again fascinated by that and they gave me the opportunity to to help with that with our own breeding at Mountain View Seeds but then also develop. How are we going to give this to golf course superintendents? How are we going to give this to sports turf and lawn care guys? You know, how do we decide what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses of these grasses? You know, what are we what are we doing? Uh, and that was my job. I named them. Uh, decided where we would go and where we wouldn't go. Areas of the country, areas of the world, uh, and then what were what were what were they were going to do to get out to our distributors. Because Mountain View Seeds has always been a wholesale distribution model. So we take our grass that we own and grow, our members, our cooperative members, farmers, they grow it all year round, and then they cut it, and then they send it out to market all at one time. And that would go to people, you know, like here locally, Corbin Turf has been one. I had their account for a long time. They're great friends of mine still to this day. Um, But people like, like that, wholesale distributors and good people that you need to continue to to send your seed out to end users um, because you can't do it both ways. You can't be fully integrated into research. You can't put all your effort into researching turf grasses and then turn around and have to put all your focus on selling it. it so, just doesn't work.
0: So let's, <clears throat> let's start at the top for the ignorant Tim's out there in yep. the world, just cause that's who I am. And our listeners know that. Um, okay. Mountain view seeds, right? Like, that's been around for a while. People know that name,
1: right? Close to 25 years, yes.
0: Okay. And so we in golf would know you for?
1: Bent grass, blue bent grass, grass, grass. grass trivialis.
0: Any oh. of our overseeds that we would need from, like, where we, we are here in the Carolinas, right? Tall like,
1: fescue. Any cool season grass that's overseeded. Cool season. That's us, you know? Okay.
0: And then y'all basically were distributed through local distributors here. Corbin... You mentioned a couple others. Yeah, well. Harrell's we've Harrels, done some work yeah, with. Okay. Uh,
1: Turfnology over in Watkinsville. Gotcha. You know, you you would have some guys that, um, you know, from a national large scale, Ewing, um, you know, like a Harrell's, but then you would also have independent and local wholesale distribution, um, even up into the Carolinas, uh, some Wyatt Corals and some. So, uh, but bro-grees. like the,
0: the Corbins and the Harrell's and those folks are the ones that we kind of know yep. that come to our show regularly. Yep. And that's where, I guess, we wouldn't, as an association, necessarily know so much about y'all, simply because we don't delve into the product sales. You know, I don't know what Corbin carries for the most part. I just know they're there. You know, at the, the show, the,
1: as I call them, the Chick Fil A, the turf grass business man. <laughs> you get you deal with people that are better at it than you are. And so we get to focus on what we're good at, which is really nerdy science in a turf grass plot. Yep. Like that's, so we need help. You know, we, you focus all your money and your energy on that.
0: You do what you're good at and let them go sell, which is what they're good at.
1: Better at, you know, and that's the thing. It's like you get with good people that can do it better than you and you've got a system. So now we've got a delivery system where you know, we can help train them and they can see what we do and they can have the belief and then it's easy to translate that to a superintendent and then they have the belief. And then once you create that history that network it's like that's when it works that's when it's seamless of okay you guys got something new i trust you i've used your stuff in the past but for us we don't care if they know us as mountain view seeds just use the seed that corbin believes in use the seed that the heralds would believe in and see if you believe in it and that's how we got to be more successful i feel like over the course of time
0: sure and that's but again though this methodology that we're talking about is specific to the cool season, right? Yep. Because those are all the, as I've learned today, those are the seeded ones. Mm-hmm. The warm season aren't seeded. They're either sodded or
1: sprigged. Vegetative. Right? You can have some warm season seeded Bermudas, typically. You do have some zoysia, seeded zoysia, very rarely. St. Augustine, out of the question. You, you don't have as many species. Seashore past Palum can be but seeded. But if you're
0: doing a conversion or a renovation... Hell, you ain't got the time for seed anyways, right?
1: Atypical. Atypical. Very very rare situations. And so um, you've got another side of the business that's vegetative or non-seeded. Um, and so that part is something that we had never done up until we decided to do it. Because the turf grass and the research and the breeding side of that is not not different. It's not very different.
0: And that's the advent of the pea. Yep. And the genetics, right? That's where we changed and and we kind of rebranded ourselves. And that's when we kind of met you because y'all came to the show, like had a booth, right?
1: We never had a reason to come before we felt like because our wholesale distributors that we would support on the seed side, they had it. You know, I mean, we would just come and take time away from them if we showed up at the Carolina show.
0: Well, y'all could always pay for their booths, you know. Well, yes. And y'all could give them more. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Free money (laughs) is always the best. Uh, Always fund your distributors. That's it. For all of ours listening, just know I'm plugging for you too.
1: And and so we would look at things like that. But, you know, when you come in and you're going, hey, look at Mountain View Seeds over here, it takes the shine away from a Corbin turf over there at the show. And so we were always really hesitant about doing that and just never did. When this, when we decided to, as a business plan, say, we need to go more into warm season turf grasses. Well, there's more warm season non-seeded turf grasses than there are seeded. It's a bigger market. It's a different market. And so we said, okay, well, how do we get that product distributed? Because if you're just selling sod and sprigs, even if it's the best Bermuda grass or zoysia grass, whatever it is under the sun, you've got to have a local sod farm Deliver that. That's your wholesale distributor. That's the one that you trust to send it out to end users. But it's a much tighter, more connected system. I can send a bag of grass seed all over the world and know pretty well it's going to show up in good condition and get planted. Live plant material, much, much different. But
0: that's all coming from... The cool season thought process, that bag, because it's the 45,000 acres of co-op growers or whatever that are all coming out of the Northwest.
1: Yeah, 80 million pounds of grass seed, and you cut it in July, and then you send it all over the world very, very quickly.
0: All of it's cut at the same time every year.
1: Pretty much, within about two months. How
0: long can a bag of ryegrass sustain seed before it's like no bueno?
1: In a cool, dry place in a plastic storage container or away from humidity, at least five years. I mean, oh, I tell, wow. yeah. I mean, I tell people it's, it's single digit percentages loss of germination. Oh, wow. You keep it away from humidity. Now, you keep it next to the barn door, the bay door where it's fluctuating temps and fluctuating humidity and water levels. Yeah, you're, you're going to wreck seed. Yeah. Uh, but you keep it in a cool, dry place, a bag of seed in your you know, storage warehouse in a container years, 10 plus decades. I mean, we really don't know. Wow. So you can keep it a tremendous, I mean, that's what it's designed to do. So it's a, it's a system, pretty, pretty natural, cool system where um, that seat will keep. So,
0: but you can't just take it and have it in a bag sitting outside under a cover Susceptible to rats and anything else that could come in there for those years and those periods, right? No, expose that's you're it, getting
1: it. Expose it to air and water and you know mice and whatever else. Expose it to the elements and you lose it very quickly because the grass wants to grow. I mean, that's the whole point. We try to create aggressive grass that grows, and so you know nature helped us ninety nine percent of the way, and then we just do the breeding work on it, and and so that part of it makes it want to pop, makes it want to grow, and. You start growing, and then things go sideways, you die. You know, you need a lot. You need air, water, soil, whatever. And so, yeah, you keep it away from all those elements, so it can last for a really, really long time. All right, well, here's my other dumb
0: question. What about a bag of fertilizer? A
1: little bit different. You know, you've got, in essence, really tiny rocks that have been mined out of the ground and put together, and so there's a finite amount with that. Now, it can keep, but it tends to absorb water a little bit better. It tends to get uh, we'll call it diminishing return. So I would, I would put most bags of fertilizer. I mean, if it's just 4600 urea, you know, then you can keep for a long time. But if, I mean, if you've got, you know, any kind of pre-emergent or any kind of chemical on that, um, I'd want to use it inside of five years. Yeah. Okay, that makes Fertilizer sense. Fertilizer guys are probably like throwing rocks right now and just breaking stuff in wherever their facility is. But that's what I would say. Well, what was would they tell company.
0: me? Less than a year? I, yeah,
1: I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just curious. Uh, we would always say less than five years. And and part of that was probably just sales side, but that's just what I saw is like you keep yeah. a bag of fert, you're unsticking, you know, small, tiny rocks in a bag of fur. Yeah, that makes sense. It's where it clumps to, and yeah, kind of does yeah. all kinds of different stuff. It's not the same. You don't see that with seed. You know, you gotcha. don't see that as much. And so, yeah, I would say less than five, and then, um, you know, you get, you get in a cool, dry place away from elements. More okay. Than, more than ten. So y'all
0: are, like, top of the world, punny. <laughs> Growing your grass seed out there. 80 million pounds?
1: 80 million pounds a year
0: a lot of grass seed
1: that's a lot of grass
0: seed. um and i'm just laughing at all the different rates i know of in my head that uh-huh. people use and i'm doing the math one I'm, pounds and two yeah. pounds
1: and half pounds and 40 it takes um, a lot depending on where you are do your lawn and it's you know 40s and 50s but still a lot i was
0: of- thinking about some teas at some places but oh, we will yeah. not get
1: into those oh um, i know yeah um a little over never hurt anybody okay so then
0: that's where the 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 business model uh, addition, I would call it, in Mm -hmm. my lay terms. Not like a change, but it's like, like you said, the light bulb goes off. It's like, man, here in the Carolinas, we'll use us as an example. We got guys that are growing cool season and warm season, depending on where you are. And some golf courses, they have both, Mm -hmm. right? And so, as a business, you're only selling to half those people, as you alluded to, the cool season. Yep. So, what are we doing for the warm season?
1: We weren't doing anything. And that, very little. We had the seeded Bermudas, but that was it.
0: So you can't grow it out there in Washington or Oregon, right? Because that's where your home is and all your co-ops and all that you've got. So then what do you do?
1: So you go and start working with warm season land-grant research universities. Okay, Clemson, NC
0: State, folks like that within our schools, right?
1: Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, Florida. Georgia. Georgia. You know, you start working with these, and then you're you're looking – to take some of their work maybe that they start with. You have, you have to have a start-off point. But you try to take something that they've created and, and then amplify that. And, and then what we hope is to get to the point where we're integrated the same way we are on the seed side. So on the seed side, we still work with cool-season universities. NC State is a great cool-season and a warm-season university. Um, Rutgers University, mainly cool-season. So we work with these universities, and then we take it out to Oregon Figure out, can it work in our system? Can you produce enough seed? The invention may be great. might be the greatest seed anybody's ever seen, ryegrass seed. But it might not grow out in Oregon, so it doesn't work. So they need us and we need them. But also in the same way for non-seeded grasses. They need us and we need them. We have to deliver it and, and amplify that to the sod producers that get it to the end users. But we also have to take some of their initial science and, and make it work and figure out if it can work all over the country, all over the world, and that's our job. So MVP Genetics was formed to be able to do that. Um, And so we had had no prior experience in in vegetative, non-seeded grasses, Um, but we wanted to make that play because we knew whether it's a world that's heating up, people's changing tastes, overseeding, falling out of favor or in favor in some places, there's just enough variability that you would never start a business and say, I'm I'm going to exclude a third or 40 or 50% of our customers potentially that we could sell to. And those are the warm season guys that never use any grass seed, never overseed, never, never do that. Why would you, even the grasses that we overseed into, we had no, nothing with that, no sales with that. It was just, yeah, whatever you want to intercede us into, we'll try to find the best way to tell you how to do it. So that. are y'all like making new grasses? Yeah. So we're, you know, our goal, just like, like we do on like seated, something
0: like I know there's a Bermuda and there's a zoysia. Yeah. Are you coming up with like a a third division of that or these varieties of these others or what are we doing?
1: That's the cool thing about turf grass right now is we're putting together combinations that we never have before. You'll hear people talk about blue Muta. You know, you'll hear heard that. You'll hear people talk about putting tall fescue as it gets better with Bermuda grass. I've seen Zoysian find fine fescue. I've seen... Bent grass and Bermudas and zoysians. And so there's, there's this fear that existed, you know, where you can't put cool and warm season grasses together. And now you don't, you don't have as much of that fear where guys are trying things and figuring out how they work as the breeding work gets better. Um, but there's still guys on either end where they're just cool season or they're just warm season. And some guys, they don't want to deal with seed at all. You meet a subset of those people, maybe a third of the people I deal with, that go, I don't want to have anything to do with seed. And we never got a chance to talk to those people or deal with those people in any sort of direct, direct way. You couldn't sell them seed. And so, you know, being able to create new turf grasses, take them from a, maybe a university in a research field or maybe look at our own experimentals that we create, it's a 10-year process. So you start out and, you know, you see this little baby plant that somebody calls you up on a golf course and says, hey, something's growing different out here. This one looks cool. And we take that or a university takes that and it comes back into the lab and something else better pops out after looking at it for years and years and years. And then it's up to us to amplify that out to the sod farms that eventually get it to back to the, the supers. You know? So it's, it's a closed-loop system when it's done right and when it's done well, but there's an awful lot of time in between. I mean, we have a zoysia grass right now that was collected in the late 70s that we're getting ready to release hopefully next summer so it is a cold tolerant zoysia grass that sat on a shelf and was just kind of off in the corner and we saw something in it and and we started to look at it and we started to do some work with it and it became what is going to be gateway zoysia grass so right now we have just two grasses iron cutter bermuda grass and then we're expanding gateway zoysia grass so iron cutter Is our vegetative Bermuda grass for MVP genetics and we license that directly to sod farms.
0: So you don't you're not growing it yourself then?
1: No, well, in the foundation field because you have to keep that initial invention. We find out and we go, aha, we've got something. That's
0: where it's held, the foundation field per se.
1: We gotta hold it and then we gotta keep the invention the same. You know, so if it changes out in the field or something happens that we don't lose the invention. So we keep it in a holding Place a foundation field, and then you know you have it where you get it sent out to sod producers, and they amplify that. And that's where certification comes in from Clemson. Is, is or,
0: that in a dome so that nothing can get to it? That nothing <laughs> no, from wind can it's, travel it's, um, to it, or air, or anything.
1: We'll say it's protected. It's not a, a <laughs> seed bank where you lock it up tight. We probably should. There is a you know a rhizome or a sample, of, you know, somewhere, but on a large scale to be able to send it out logistically you've got to take a piece and give it to somebody and have them make it bigger so there is a handoff that has to occur a couple times where you know the crop improvement guys and the inspectors of these sod fields they're a vital part so clemson is a huge part of what we're doing here in South Carolina and and North Carolina crop improvement is a huge part of what we're doing in North Carolina. Because when you make that handoff, a lot of things can happen. You You want to make sure that what you gave that sod producer is the same thing that you invented. And then 20 years from now, when it's still on patent, it's the same invention and nothing changes because vegetative grasses can change quickly. Yeah, because aren't we
0: dealing with mutations? Isn't that how we got to
1: where we're having this conversation? Because something
0: mutated and we wanted to go with it?
1: And so that's what nature does. Nature throws mutation. Mutations always have a bad... Is that a bad word? I'm sorry. No, it's not. I mean, most people think of it because we all think of like... You know, uh, uh, ultra dwarf Bermuda grass that mutated or a teenage mutant. Ninja right, needle, Right. But <laughs> <laughs> it's <ninja> like, turtle. <laughs> every, everything in some ways is, is a mutation, you know, and what we make are selections of those mutations. Nature's always trying to change.
0: And you're trying to d- continue to grow that just specific mutation per se.
1: We're all trying to make nature do something that it doesn't want to do. Yeah. Just naturally. That's what we do. That's just crazy game of golf. That's turf grass breeding. And so we're trying to stabilize that as much as possible so we can take it out and sell that invention, make money, have people be happy, enjoy our grasses, be healthy on our grasses, whatever. All right. So, so
0: how'd you come up with Iron Cutter?
1: <laughs> so I named it um, after the breeder. Um, I grew up, uh, one of the counties that, that was neighboring to us was what we called Tolliver County. But it was spelled the same way as the turfgrass breeder, which is Dr. Charles Talaferro, is how he says it. Oklahoma cowboy. And I've always been interested in genealogy and where people come from, and I thought, eh, that's a weird coincidence. Turns out it all comes from an Italian family that immigrates to the U.S., okay? So at some point, they drop the G in their name. I had to go back to Doc and ask him this. He's 83 years old, I think now. So I had to go back and go, are you Italian? Because he's a cowboy through and through. And he said, yeah, we're Italian. So it was called Tagliaferro, that family name. And Tagliaferro directly translates to iron cutter. Uh-huh. They were blacksmiths, and they immigrated from Italy, Italia, over here, around the time of Thomas Jefferson, as best we can tell. But they were noted blacksmiths, tough Italians. And then they just dispersed all over the U.S. So Talaferro, Tagliaferro, that was the name, and so Doc Reed. Doc is a really cool person, very understated. He likes working with grass, but you know his past work is everything from the first seeded Bermuda grass to vegetative Bermuda grasses, non-seeded like Patriot and Latitude 36 and Northbridge, and this was a new one. This Iron Cutter is a next generation, his most recent so when he was at Oklahoma State and was one of the head breeders at Oklahoma State for so long, he was working on a team to produce the Patriots and the Latitudes and the North Bridge. Then he retires and goes to a private breeding program, and that's who we were working with to isolate and identify Iron Cutter. And once we realized we had something after we started testing it, then it was how do you name this, and so what do you want out of it? And so what I wanted is a memorable name. You know, I thought, well – Half the people will hate the name Iron Cutter, and half the people will love it, but they'll all remember it, I hope. You know, that's what you hope. You never really know. More people have liked it than I thought they would. Like, the majority of people I meet are going, man, that's a cool name. And we got really lucky in that the grass itself looks like a strong, tough grass. It looks like a grass that can take a beating, traffic, chemical-wise. And so you always hope that the name fits. And I had to go back to Doc and say, look, I'm thinking about naming this after you. What do you think? And that was a big moment of truth because in my head I'm going, what if it's not good enough? And you're talking about naming this after a guy that had had worked with Tiffway 419 in Tifton. He's the only guy I know that's left alive that still has some connection like that besides Dr. Hannah, you know, down in, in, at the University of Georgia. And so this legendary, you know, breeding lineage. And I'm going, what if this grass is not good enough? Like, what if I got to rename it again? So I go back to doc and I said, is this good enough? Now, is it good enough to, in essence, carry your family name? And he kind of thought about it for a little bit and he said, Yeah, I think it is. And it was like, Okay, first hurdle passed, you know? Yeah. And, and then you got to get it out and come out with a logo and come out and figure out strengths and weaknesses and all that. And then you got to get people to trust you. So we started doing that right about when COVID hits. So Fun that, time. that was a great time to start a new business and get out and start trying to gain people's trust and visit them. Really easy to visit them during during twenty twenty and early parts of it. So yeah, I don't recommend starting a new business uh, side during a pandemic. Business. No, no, yeah. no, no. So I took the risk to lead this side and come over from my really nice director of product development side and this fledgling new division and lead this with our team and get this new grass that nobody's ever seen before, and the world goes haywire. So we've been uh, working since then to gain people's trust, and I think I think we've done a great job. We've got 14 growers and australia uh, i think with around eight growers uh, for iron cutter and then we've had significant momentum with with gateway so i expect we'll have five to ten growers signed before we even release it which is much further ahead than we were with iron cutter so
0: So if we're in the carolinas and we wanted iron cutter what are your expectations or hopes like Within a calendar year, two years, three years, you'd be able to grass some areas?
1: Yeah, no, we, I mean, we've got, um, you know, 10 acres with a grower called Country Green. So they're uh, southwest of Florence. And so they've got some, an and increase into about 30 acres before the end of the season. And then we're looking at, at people to continue on, like Modern Turf and Rembert. I'm sure friends of the Carolinas and, and Carolinas GCSA. Um, and so they're, uh, they're going to be expanding, hopefully as soon as the end of this week, early next week and they'll be expanding Iron Cutter. We'll hope okay. they take on Gateway, but again, it's a there's a process of, ooh, we've got this great invention. Who wants to plant it? And you've got guys with 200 and 300 and 500 acres going, this thing better be bulletproof, and it better be better yeah, than what I got, I or I'm not changing. And so you got to prove it on farm, and then once you do that, they go, okay, we'll send it to the end users and have them get out and see it, and then maybe we'll plant some. Yeah. So it is a long tail on development of this. Uh, which we plan for and we're ready for, uh, but it's taken us three, four years to where people go, I think I know MVP genetics, but also maybe no Mountain View seeds, and I don't know how they relate, and so that's why we have to tell this story, because we ultimately want to be a company that has all the major vegetative non-seeded turf grasses, warm season mainly, and then we want to be a company that controls all the cool season, um, because why would you do it differently, you know, but for some strange reason in the turf grass business, there's really never been anybody that's done both sides. Sure. So what we're attempting to do is, is unique. We're the only ones in the world that have this kind of volume with warm season non-seeded grasses and seeded cool season grasses where we quote unquote own both. So
0: to answer that question, then Mountain View Seeds versus MVP Genetics is Mountain View Performance Genetics. It's mm-hmm. one and the same, just a division of.
1: Check goes to the same place, man. Yeah, I mean, you know. that's that's what we say, you yeah. know. But the difference was and the reason why we were, we were okay to name it Mountain View Seeds and just go out and license sided warm season cultivars. Uh, but we got to guys that had sold against seed, um, people that had never bought a pound of seed in their life. We're talking – south texas and australia and south florida and you deal with these people and people go i don't i don't want to pay a seed company money we're going well we're we're kind of a co-op you know and they said well if you change the name like we'll be okay and we said well you know it's going to go to the same bank account right and they're like hey we're good with that and so once they decided that was okay it's like okay what do we call it and then we wanted something that looked like mountain view seeds that people would go i think i've seen that somewhere before but it is totally different. Our contracts are different than our seated wholesale distributors. It's a completely different model of getting out to the end users. And so we had to name it something, and we named it MVP Genetics. So we named it that way just with the performance and the genetics, and but also it's Mountain View.
0: But you're yeah. traveling then. So you're all over the country. Oh, yeah. The world, per Texas se. Texas
1: last week, Australia, Germany last year. Um yeah, there, there hadn't been a warm season state that I haven't touched. So why
0: would you, if you're going to live in Atlanta, live so far away from the airport? Yeah. Wouldn't you want to be a little closer <laughs> to the airport if you don't uh, fly that, that
1: much? That airport can stay right down where it okay, is. Okay, I, I got you. I understand. I love that airport, and I hate that airport at the same time. No, Understood. it's um, the job for my wife came first, and we thought about Noonan, and we thought about Peachtree City, and we thought about South Atlanta, but I... I like our little slice of the world. It's, it's nice. It, I'm a mountain person. I'm not a beach person. So I'd like to think I wore my wife down and we got we got closer to the mountains than the yeah, beach. You're so. not far from Dahlonega and some no, of that fun stuff. I tried to get her to Dahlonega. She said coming. So yeah. that's where we live. And uh, we, we truly do love it. It is a great place to raise kids and go to school. And I don't mind that hour and 15, you know, down to the airport. I just do it at... 4.35 in the morning instead of right there at rush yeah, hours. Yeah, no, so makes sense. I have control over my schedule. I mean, that's the freedom for our job. Yeah. The grass grows whether we want it to or not, so we have to go where it grows and when it grows. And so there's times when I'm busy, but I've got control over my schedule. You know, I can, I can do what I need to do with the growers that I need to do it with, and uh, hopefully we get enough expanded where superintendents and people start using it and they say they like it, and then that continues, that continuity of – oh, yeah, maybe I use some seed or maybe I never used some seed, but I heard of you, and now it's, okay, I can have vegetative grasses at my place. And it and it helps out our Corbins of the world. It helps out just the total system of turf grass because it's not much different from a breeding side, seeded grasses versus non-seeded. So why would we not have both? Sure. Makes sense. It's
0: that, yeah, I mean, like you say, it's the first company that I've heard that's divesting the research into the both sides of it. Everybody's picked one or the other. How many employees do y'all have?
1: Right now we just have five. So um, I've got my right-hand man, and, and most are in Oregon. So uh, Dwayne Klunt, uh he's in Salem, Oregon, and so he handles a lot of the structure because you have to have somebody that's still tapped into headquarters and our controllers and our accountants and making sure that everything from a structural standpoint is right. And so I, I lead, and so I decide, hey, where are we going to go and how are we going to do it and what's our program going to look like? but then I, I need somebody that's behind the scenes and talking to people and making sure that everything goes smoothly. And that's Dwayne. And so then we've got um, Dr. Greg Munshaw, our director of agronomy. He's in Columbia, Missouri. He's got a research facility there that we utilize a lot. Um, we've got a business development manager, Will Schnell, so Will splits his time between Mountain View Seeds and MVP Genetics. As we're as we're trying to get uh, solvent and create revenue and not lose money, sure, uh, we have some hybrids, and so Will is one. So he lives in Sedona, Arizona, and has a terrible life. Uh, oh my gosh, he spent the last twenty years as as the uh, head groundskeeper at the Rose Bowl. Oh man, so we That's developed awesome. a relationship with him, sports turf. Um, has not done a lot of golf, but sports turf guy, LA Dodgers, Cleveland Browns, minor league baseball, and then the Rose Bowl for the last twenty years. So, um, Will knows more about turf grasses than I do, and so I want people that are smarter than me on our team. Sure. So he's been a huge help in just getting us introduced to people that know people from not only the sports turf world, but the little bit in golf, and 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 just been an asset out in the western side. Um, Then we have Brett. So Brett is our international director of international sales. So he's been critical for us. He lives in Oregon, but has been in the international business for uh, close to 15 years, mainly on the seated side. But you take those relationships that we've had for 20 years that are built in and and we find our way quickly to the right people. So you go back to the Corbins and you go, hey, who do you trust to sell sod? Who's the good people to deal with in the region? And then internationally you go to those people that you've trusted on seed and you go, hey, who do you trust on the sod side? Who does a good job? Who sells it the right way? And they get you to those people really quickly because it has a double benefit of coming back to them. You you sell more seed because they sell more sod and it's all Mountain View. Hopefully, if it works out right. So Brett's been critical of getting us through into Australia. Australia has a quarantine, so we had to send our grass, air flight it over, hope it lives one little pot and expand from there when they say, "Hey, you're good to go, you pass quarantine." So it's this extremely complex process that's still cool to me. I geek out on that kind of stuff. But then you get it out in a country and watch it amplify. And so now we're up to you know, a three hectare foundation field, eight growers. You're, you're seeing Gateway that, that is going into quarantine there. and you see just this ripple effect of, okay, People are saying your stuff's good enough, you know, even though they've never really seen this warm season side of you. And once they do that, it's like, oh well, I guess I'll just buy more of your cool season. Or if I know somebody that needs some, I'll recommend it, and sure. and the circle closes. But it's but uh, you only got eighty million pounds. Yeah, that's it. So I we mean, only going to
0: do if somebody <laughs> needs another three million. If you they, know,
1: if they need uh, eighty one. Uh, this has been a good year. A couple years back, I'm sure your listeners will remember it. It was very, very tight. About half that, wasn't it? Yeah, we go, we swing, um, we can swing. And, and so there, you're still growing in an environment. It's still a natural, natural process. Open pollinated, uh, for anybody that's never been out to Oregon, when they start to grow it and harvest it and combine it, it, it is one of the most fascinating agricultural processes I've ever seen. I mean, 24 hours a day, everybody, everywhere in, in this little valley, but it's producing 40, 50% of the world's crop. Yeah. Of cool season grass seed, any type, you know, it just it comes out of this little area of the world, and then it it sends out, and so in a way we're doing the same thing with warm season vegetative, just just in different places. Sure. So, uh, but anybody that has a chance to get out, we're going to host the field days on the Mountain View Seed Side, but we open up the valley. Everybody comes out, you get to see what it's like, and every time I go out, I learn something new. It's an education for me. But the people that we take out there, the people that have been out there. It's mind blowing. It yeah. is a wild place. It's the most perfect place to grow anything, not just grass seed, but seventy five, fifty five in the summertime. So it's a it's a pretty nice place to get out of the south and, and oh. the southeast. Yeah,
0: other than the bugs.
1: Other than the other than that. Yep. Other than the bugs. Other yep. than the bugs.
0: Well, what did um, what did we forget to talk about that you might want to tell? I don't know any of our listeners about MVP.
1: You know, I I think, again, relating how this is, is new and old at the same time and that, you know, yeah, MVP genetics is growing and a lot of people will scratch their head and going, you know, what is, what is this? What are you guys trying to do? But I, I think the fact that we're working on the ground with them, you know, it's like you know, superintendents I have such a respect for because they get so many things thrown at them day to day and they're still expected to produce championship conditions no matter where you are. Um, it's kind of the same thing for us, but we're, we're just hoping that we can get in front of them and, and influence them and, and them to take one of our grasses. I don't really care which one, but let's just hope it's an MVP grass. But there's something we can take to make life easier. And so all the work that we're doing and that we want their input on is how do we make your life easier? Is Can this grass get you to do something else, to deal with that aggravating member, that Greens committee you know, that spot in your golf course that won't drain, don't worry about the turf grass. Like, have enough faith in us that we've done 10, 15, 20, 30 years worth of research to give you something that you can take and go do something else. And so, anytime we can have that input from MVP, whether it's at a sod farm level or whether it's at an end user level at a golf course, like, we want that back and forth. So, anybody that doesn't know us, like, Reach out. You know, we're testing things all the time. I want sod production to mirror what superintendents do as much as we can. There's only a certain amount you can do with the scale and the, and the cost of doing it that way. Um, and Hank could probably kill me at Modern Turf for saying all this, but we need to use more PGRs. We need to use more wetting agents. We need to use more cultural practices that the superintendents do because if I can give sod, better sod, better grasses in a better condition to a superintendent – I just made life easier. And all I really care about is making somebody's life easier. And if I do that, I'll go home at the end of the day happy and we will have done our job. So that's what all the the research and the MVP and, and the Mountain View Seeds and all of that is for is is to make life easier on the guys that do it better than we do and the guys that work harder than we do to do it. And so that's that's what I'd want to relay to any of the superintendents is. If you don't know us, get to know us. I think you'll like how we work. Try some of our grasses. Ask for some of our grasses. and We'll see what happens, see if it's good enough. And they can
0: see you at the beach again this year. You coming back to the show?
1: Wouldn't miss it for the world. Love it. It it is a key, critical part of what we do and how we get seen, and um, I just enjoy it. I go to places I I like. I'm at the point in my career where I work with people I enjoy and I work in places I enjoy, and that's the Carolina show.
0: Nothing wrong with that, you know. Um, Some people might pay a doctor um, a lot of money, as an adult, tell them to avoid negativity, to be happier. So it's good you figured that out without having to make that extra investment. But, um, <laughs> you know, as we all age, I think that's important, you know. Like, do what you enjoy, you know. And it. I, I get the feeling from you that it's not only what you enjoy, but it's like a life passion, too. So it's kind of like a win-win, you know.
1: It's a weird and wacky industry all the way around, and certainly turfgrass breeding and turfgrass development. I never, ever, ever, ever thought I would be in this, Sure, um, and I, I couldn't be more thankful than I'm in it, and so for me, I'm, I'm passionate about getting other people in it, younger people, developing people, making it easier for people to get in it, but it is, that that's when I'm the most stress-free, like that's the, the part of my job that's the most fun. I, I don't have very many bad days, and, and I'm, I'm hoping other people can fall into those good days like I have um and make it easier to do it so whether it's with the grass or whether it's getting people into this industry like that's what i care about um uh, that's what i'll keep caring about so yeah i guess it is a lifelong passion
0: that's awesome man well we're going long yep. um i just want to make sure we haven't forgotten anything and thank you not only for your support of the carolinas and coming to our show and just reassuring our listeners you know that's why we got a georgia boy on here it's okay we're all in this together. We don't buy not um, we, don't,
1: we don't buy it. We bark. We don't buy it.
0: No, but, you know, there's a lot of common similarities in, in some things in some places that you're working with that are big partners of ours. And, you know, we, we as an association need the support of everybody, including folks like yourselves who, you know, like you say, there's companies that have been doing it for 30 years, and now there's new divisions that are going to need to continue. And we just hope to put on a good show so that everybody can benefit when they come out and, you know, purvey their goods, for lack of a better word.
1: Change is necessary. We need it in all parts of our business, and it's coming whether we want to or not. So uh, better adapt to it or die. That's what I say.
0: And with that, I think we can close. Adapt to it or move right along. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you, Tim. Yes, sir.
0: Thank you all for listening to another episode of Pulling Weeds, a podcast of the Carolina's Golf Course Superintendents Association. Stay tuned as we will have another episode out soon. For further information on the Carolinas GCSA, please visit our website at www.carolinasgcsa.org or call our office at 864-843-1150.